Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me I had bipolar. I was sent home with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using loud music as a form of therapy. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Having close friends to confide in and be creative with can make a world of difference when it comes to someone's mental health. Caitlin Demeray is the bassist and singer of Rainer Maria, an emotional punk band from Madison, Wisconsin. She's also a solo artist and has released three albums. Early on, Caitlin met her kindred spirit, guitarist-vocalist Kaya Fisher, and together they formed Rainer Maria, a band that influenced many other bands in the emo genre. After Caitlin and Kaya began hanging out, they started doing scream therapy in their basement. They'd literally scream in each other's faces to practice singing in the band. They also used the screaming as a way to confront trauma and begin healing. The basement scream therapy gave Caitlin confidence to be a punk vocalist. Caitlin is also a professional dancer. I was witness to her dance moves at Prefest 5 in Tampa, Florida. Let's just say I've never seen someone spin like that with a bass guitar around their shoulder. Caitlin's songs give me all the feels. Which brings me to the Rainer Maria song, Communicator, off the album ST. I've listened to this song probably a thousand times, and it always fills me with emotions. Thank you, Rainer Maria, and thank you, Caitlin Demeray. My name is Caitlin Demeray, longtime musician, member of the band Rainer Maria. I also put out my own music and have played with lots of wonderful musicians and bands over the years. Also currently in graduate school to be a music educator. So really enjoying that new aspect journey of my musicianship. But it started really long time ago. I'm feeling, I don't feel old, but I feel glad that I've accumulated so many decades of experience. Long before I knew I was going to be a musician, I was going to shows, punk shows. And I identified with my peers who were looking for something outside of the mainstream. And that was the place I started, I guess. And so a lot of hardcore shows, Gorilla Biscuits, that sort of genre. And while I felt a part of that scene, I also did not connect with the shows as much because they were so intense and I was so small and I couldn't get up close to the stage where I wanted to be because I would just get too much bodily harm. So I looked for other types of ways to connect to music, you know, that were also true to that DIY 
ethos. I think I was looking for a way to engage kinesthetically also. You know, I was a trained dancer and the mosh pit was not the place for me. So <laughs> I would go to a lot of dance clubs, a lot of live shows, just my hunger for music and connection with other musicians and people who loved music as much as I did. To Reiner Maria, which started in college for me. And I had just come from a period of being very alone and sometimes lonely, but mostly alone, doing a lot of exploring of life by myself, going to shows by myself, going to movies by myself, living alone, and trying to figure out how I wanted to engage with people. Also coming through some trauma during that time, that I think it was good for me to spend that time healing and getting to know myself. Although I had no idea how much music was going to be part of that healing having never been in a band up until that point. So I was about 22 at this point. And I met my bandmate, Kaya Fisher, in a poetry class at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This person just changed my life. My world expanded, exploded, got brilliant. The energy around this person, I was like, whoa, I immediately want to know, collaborate, hang out with, understand, be in a relationship with this person. So what I quickly became a part of was a punk scene in Madison a collective that was called P is for Punk. They were actively putting on shows, hosting bands, and also playing in their own band, Ezra Pound, at the time. So I was just thrown into this and just got to know musicians from all over the country. Because I trusted Kaya so much, you know, our relationship developed and we started writing songs that were kind of going into trauma and healing from trauma. I did not have a voice. I should say my voice, it was difficult for me to project it. I had relied on silence and forgotten how to, the childhood expression, I was always told to be quiet. So one of the first orders of the day was to go down into our basement and do scream therapy, literally. She was so good at directing it. And I was so just taken by it that it changed me into a vocalist. And I would never have been able to sing over the beautiful cacophony of Ryan and Maria, if we hadn't done that scream therapy. Then we started writing poetry together, you know, for lyrics about the trauma and mining that for our first EP and our first record. It was definitely a learning experience. It was emotional. It was, it was a very safe space with her and with my bandmate, William Keen. So I was able to, to start that process of actually being a musician and using my work throughout my life as an exploration into healing. I don't really talk about it very much, to be honest. Words fail me in a way. I do keep it pretty private. I have an image of you and her down in the basement just screaming your heads off. So let's talk about that. How did that actually look or how did it feel? Well, she would say, okay, project your voice. Give me a blah. It would come out very quietly at first. Blah. Well, let's try it again. 
And so I would, and we would keep going back and forth. And it, you know, it was literally the two of us with our faces not too far from each other, opening up my heart basically, and not hurting, not ripping it open, but just moving through that emotion, being able to, instead of standing on the border of it, moving through it, being in it, and coming out the other side, shaking maybe, but also more grounded, knowing myself more, feeling like I could authentically represent that emotion on stage. I don't think that folks really understand what it's like in the punk scene, the, the screaming of the punk scene, and how that's always been therapeutic to, at least to me, and I know a lot of other folks. What has been your experience with scream therapy? Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> like, when did, you, when did you define it as a healing mechanism for yourself? From the very beginning of going to punk shows, it was always a way to release the pent-up energy, of things going on in my life. I know that when I was in a punk band and screaming my head off, it was really a way to process trauma, but also it was staving off a full-on breakdown. What would I have done if I wasn't able to actually be doing this scream therapy? What would I have done? That's exactly what I ask myself. What would I have done if I had not become a punk rock musician? I can't imagine how much quieter I would be now. I can't, I mean, I can only speculate, but, you know, I connected through music kinesthetically, like I said, through dance, but to use my voice, oh my gosh. And to then be able to luxuriate in that, not because I had a microphone, but because I had the music behind me and the amplification, you know, and I'm trying to resonate now. I always have, but even more so am I aware now that I am there to resonate with everyone around me. You know, I have my different experiences when I'm writing, I'm resonating in myself. I'm trying to see how authentic that can be. If it's not true, then, then I'll move on to something else. But when it's out there, it's 100% about striking that chord and trying to create that safe space again outside of myself even, for anyone who wants to participate. You told me that with your experiences with mental health, it's been really at the core of your creative process and it relates to your healing. Can you just elaborate on that? I think that I've always sought music out as a way to help me step through my emotions instead of just lingering on the, the edges of them, which for me was what I was taught to do. Don't go too deeply into your emotions because they're scary places. My family has a history of mental illness on my mom's side, and I think it was one of her coping mechanisms to teach me to not be overtaken by emotions. And I completely understand you know, where she was coming from, and it was coming from a very loving place. But at the same time, she was a child psychologist and taught me also that it's okay to seek talk therapy. Maybe these mixed messages, I had to find my own way to integrate my life's work with this very real need to heal. This is something that's still evolving for me. Trauma happened to me as a teenager and I'm in my 40s now and I still feel like because I was so slow to address it at the time, you know, because there was so much silence around the trauma that I'm so glad that there's been a sea change, but that still doesn't mean that after all these years, I'm, I still feel very comfortable to, to talk about it or to 
direct my own healing. Like I'm still experimenting with what's best for me. And, you know, especially now as a parent, I see how crucial it is to be more healed and more joyful. And I'm out, I'm looking, I'm questioning, I'm, I'm asking other people how they survive, how they're surviving. You know, it's so important, I think, to also not just to see a therapist who I've seen many over the years, but also reach out to each other and really admit when I need help and also know that I have a lot of resources that can also help. In your songs, you definitely cover a wide range of emotions. And I know that they talk about with trauma work, there's this idea that things are filed away in the wrong files in a cabinet. And the question is trying to figure out how to reorder the files. The songs are just so varied. And I'm wondering if maybe the songs are a way to reorganize your background, your trauma, your history. This is so interesting because I had not heard that actually. So thank you so much for sharing that refiling. Hmm. Let me just think about that for one second. I mean, I think my body awareness that comes from some of my dance work and well, I'm also a yoga instructor, so done some meditation. So when I'm writing songs and words, I'm thinking about trying to be very truthful. And so I'm tapping into what emotion is resonating. And I guess I'm surprised sometimes that sadness might come out when I didn't expect it or anger or or whatever. And I guess it makes sense to think about it as refiling. For instance, if it was a memory I was writing about and not knowing what that emotion was that I felt at the time because it was suppressed, then if it's coming out now, it's helping me recognize what I might have felt and had to suppress. I'm still learning and this information is going to stay with me now and I'll examine it, you know, I guess later today. (laughs) (laughs) There, There you go. Homework. Yeah. No, completely. The thing that's occupying my head all the time is our relationships with everyone. So I'm definitely not trying to manage people's experiences or emotions, but trying to create space so that they can have their emotions. And I'm speaking specifically about my children right now. I mean, to be a parent, my gosh, you know, right? It's just, it's so much crucial work. With music, there's obviously a physical challenge to it, whether it's dexterity in the fingers or the workout that you have on stage. And there's also the mental side of it. We talked a bit about that. How do you see those two things balancing or interacting, the physical and the mental? I've had a hard time on stage since the beginning because I have so much anxiety and fear of making mistakes, which is funny because I play punk rock music where you're supposed to make mistakes (laughs) and there's supposed to be a space for that. So it's only been since Ryan Maria has reformed that I've been able to tap into this sort of mantra that I've created for myself that I'm delighted. I really am. I'm truly delighted to be there. That's the truth. And it's delightful to play. That's the truth. So, Caitlin, you can relax. It's okay to be delighted, (laughs) to show that excitement, that happiness. So again, it's that work that I'm doing to try and move 
into that feeling, that emotion, and through it instead of lingering on the edges of it. I'm not sure people remember, but in the emo scene, I'll say the Midwest or whatever it was back then in the 90s, there was this unspoken agreement that nobody was allowed to dance, like nobody was allowed to move. And the arms folded. The arms folded. And that's the extreme opposite of who I am and what and how I, you know, I see this actually in my son, the need to move, the kinesthetic intelligence, the need to move to work things out. Now I can encourage that in him, but at the time I was not in a scene that encouraged it. So that was a bummer for me. I felt like I had to hide my movement in a way, you know, and only when I finally went on tour with, I think it was Mates of State, <laughs> so, so many years later, did that sort of get unleashed and we did a lot of dancing, of movement. So maybe it was something that got embraced a little bit later, but, and which I'm so glad for because it showed me that I could be at any show and move my body and that's okay. Dancing is actually a really great thing. I saw you play at Fest a couple of years ago in Florida, and people were definitely dancing there. But I remember you did the spin move, and I was just so delighted at that. What? That's not a, you know, it's a very punk thing to do, but it's nothing that I really had seen before. Yeah, I think it's amazing how I was able to get some of my ballet training on stage with that heavy, heavy bass. And I think Fest was the first time I actually ever crowd surfed, which was a transcendent experience. I planned it beforehand so that I would know that I felt safe enough to do that. And I, I was assessing the crowd and I saw the warmth and I did it. And um, it was just glorious. trying to rack my brain now to remember if I was one of the people that held you up. <laughs> I hope I was. Writing music can be very meditative. I know that Kai is a Buddhist. I'm assuming you're not as in as she is with the practice, but do you find it meditative when you're up on stage or even when you're recording or writing songs? I have learned so much from Kaya's studies and journey with the Buddhist practice that I'm so grateful it's such a beautiful philosophy and practice do i bring it to my music i must i've been trying to integrate it into my life and my experience over the years meditation for me does come with movement i do connect with walking meditation i do connect with cleaning meditation i am not a person who sits down at an altar to meditate very infrequently so i meditate with nature a lot. And my ability to ruminate, while it has been conducive to circling around the drain or, you know, feeling the pain over and over, it also has given me such ability to circle around a lyric or a baseline and just keep going until it's flowing more freely and keep going until it's more true to the intent. So I guess I'm expanding the definition of meditation 
in some ways for myself. I read somewhere that you and Kaya finished each other's musical sentences. Can you tell me a little bit about that? That must come from so many years of collaborating together, but it was that way from the beginning. And if there is such a thing as past lives, I know that she and I have been connected for many, I don't know, millennia or whatever, because I can always go to her and I hope she can always come to me. But by now our collaboration is such that there is no need for explanation. Although we still maintain this beautiful friendship around all of it. So it's, it's well-ordered, but at the same time, we do have all the niceties of the mannerisms of kindness, you know, that can really brighten your day, little things here and there. But when we're collaborating, I don't know, from the outside, it might seem sharp and abrupt and just boop, 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 because we know where the other person's intention lies. You know, it's always true. It's the heart's always open. And if we know we can always be very truthful with each other and not risk hurting each other. Some of your songs are about loss of yourself, trying to find yourself again. That's a theme that, from my perspective, comes up a lot in your songs. I definitely was lost after my teenage years, but, you know, I grew up in a big family, but I was also alone a lot. So my goal, my journey is to find my most authentic self and to understand the darkness in me, to understand the light in me, to understand and be kind to it. And I hope that I will get to a place, you know, you don't, there's no end, right? And the healing is not linear. It's like this spiral, but I hope that my spiral is going up using like a yoga kinesthetic term. If you're in a seated spiral, you you know, I'm imagining that I'm going up while at the same time I'm rooted. So I think I, I know who I am and I'm trying to make peace with all of that. Musicians obviously get therapy from creating music. How have you felt about the idea that on the other end is people like me who are filled up by your songs, by your music? I feel it's very natural because I too am a listener of music. I too am so deeply connected. I mean, deeply connected to some pieces of music and they have helped me to move through those emotions as we talked about. And I remember specifically the time and the place and the record or the show, and it's for different reasons. My favorite kind of show is a very small, intimate one. Even if the person is just programming electronic stuff around them, I prefer that because I want to see what they're doing to inhabit that performance. So. I don't feel separate from people who are listening to my music in the same way that I feel connected to the music that I'm listening to. I just don't see a distinction. I feel like we are in broad strokes, different expressions of the same beings. We're so interconnected that I don't separate myself in that way. You mentioned before things that happened to you when you were a teen, and I'm assuming you got into punk rock around the same time. 
Is there yes. a correlation there for you in your mind or do you keep those things separate? It's an interesting question. I think the trauma was, I don't want to put them in the same. I do want to separate them because it had nothing to do with who I was or the music I was getting into, but it's a really interesting question. I almost want to ask you like why you would ask that question, not accusatorily, but I'm just, I am curious, like the process of what you would want to ask that question. For me, my trauma happened when I was quite young. And I know that for me, punk rock was the thing that really helped me, first of all, feel safe because I was a very scared person and still am in some ways. But also it became a place where I could actually heal. Over a long period of time, I've been into punk since, I don't know, 30 years or longer. For me, the trauma that I experienced was protected and soothed and healed by punk rock. So that's my experience. They were very much entwined. Yeah, I understand now. And I think for me, because I saw the punk rock world that I was exposed to, which was the hardcore world, was not a safe place for me and my body. When I first discovered punk rock, and then when I was in a punk rock band, there was that gap. And what I filled it with was dance. You know, I would go to dance clubs where they would play alternative music. Some hip hop was being played and some like techno. I mean, I went to raves in the 90s in the cornfields. That was where I healed, definitely dancing. So then finally, when I was able to perform music as a punk rocker, that's when the connection was made for me. So there was that gap until I was able to involve my own body in a way that felt safe, which was for me being on stage, actually. <laughs> being in your basement with Kaya and screaming at each other, the scream therapy. Do you remember how you were feeling? Were you thinking this is going to inform the rest of your life or did it just seem like a wild thing to do at the time? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't think I had any idea that it was going to transform me. At the same time, I do think that I realized how special it was and why haven't I been able to do this before moment. I'd already been in therapy for a number of years and had been with other trauma survivors and we had done some collective working through our trauma or grief together, but this was something entirely different because it was creative at the same time. So I'm so tickled to think of us having fun doing that together in the basement. It was fun and it was a little bit scary, but good scary. And it was, it got us here <laughs> to this place. So what a cool thing. I don't think it was even, I'm not even sure it was planned. I haven't even asked her ever. What made you want to do it? I'm going to completely ask her that next time I talk to her.
Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Scream Therapy. I'm coming to you from Powell River, a small coastal town in British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional territory of the Klohomin Nation. Doing this podcast and talking to other folks living with mental health challenges has been a huge part of my journey. It means the world to me that you're out there listening. You can sign up for my newsletter and find more episodes at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. That's ScreamTherapyHQ.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Let's talk punk and mental health. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care and be well. Be well.